Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Vicky Patterson to my Jamie Patterson. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good. I'm actually very, very good. It's, it is a bit windy outside, though. That was that wasn't an enjoyable morning, to say the very least. It's that sort of wind where it, it pierces your eyes and just makes them all teary all the time. Mm. And um, it's just it wasn't enjoyable, it wasn't nice. Were you playing football this morning? I was, yes, yes. And I couldn't see a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always funny at Sunday league level, isn't it? Whenever there's a strong gust of wind going one di- one direction, you just know you've got to park the bus if you're <laughs> defending from that gust of wind. It was that it type just, of day. Yeah, yeah, and it ultimately just becomes Tony Pulis ball, doesn't it? Where one ball up top suddenly becomes the most threatening ball you can possibly play. <laughs> it's it's Valerian Ishmael, Tony Pulis, uh, mm. and you could argue that happens every week, but it doesn't. There's some good football on a Sunday league, but as I say, windy today. It was it was in the air a lot. Mm. I, I miss my Sunday league days when <laughs> that was the case, and I just whenever it was windy one direction, just hoof it forward, and then if you're you know, playing against the wind, it was just a case of keep it solid at the back. Never knew how to, never figured out how to play against it, if you see what I mean. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is. I don't think Pep Guardiola could work it out. It is no, no. one of those, <laughs> it's going to be one of them football mysteries that ha- go on for decades. When someone works it out, they are the, the, the football messiah. Yeah, absolutely. They'll be the modern day Cruyff, won't they? Uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We've only got four games in the championship to talk about this weekend because of the bloody FA Cup. It's so what we're going to do in the show this week is just talk about the four games that happened in the championship, then talk about some of the news from the past few days. Then we'll finish off with a little game as well. Got plenty of midweek games coming up, Justin. So we're not going to be without our full dose of championship football for too long i can assure you of that so we'll kick things off with the late game on saturday which was somewhat of a shock wasn't it swansea beat blackburn one nil despite being down to 10 men for nearly half the game considering how both teams were at different ends of the form table as well i can safely say i never saw this one coming justin but blackburn did miss some glorious chances didn't they yeah when it's not your day it's, it's not your day and i think swansea going down to 10 men Makes it a bit harder. We saw with Derby Huddersfield in midweek. Um, Derby being down to 10 men for 87 minutes, it's very hard to break them down. And Swansea did a really good job of of shutting up shop. And and as you say, Blackburn missed a lot of really good chances. Arguably should have been three or four to Blackburn by, by the time um, Swansea even got their goal. So yeah, Blackburn will be coming away from, um, from Swansea and thinking it's points dropped here because as I say, the amount of chances that just just went across the box and were hit over or hit wide, it was it was it was mad. Yeah, it was a disappointing day in front of goal for for Rovers for sure. Mm. It was a bit of a new look. 
Blackburn team, wasn't it? You had both Ryan Giles and Ryan Hedges both playing after signing in January. And no recognised striker starting the game because of Sam Gallagher being injured. Braverton Diaz starting on the bench after coming back from international duty. Um, and it looked as if this was a game where they really missed that killer instincts uh, that you'd get with a Brereton Diaz. Because if you had him on, on the end of the Lenehan chance, for example, at the end of the game, or the Buckley chance in the first half, completely different game for my money. But hopefully he'll be back in midweek, Brereton Diaz, that is, uh, for a massive game at home to Forest, which is a gigantic <laughs> game in the grand scheme of things, isn't it? But let's give some praise to the Swans, shall we, Justin? They've been in turgid form heading into this. We talk about how poor a season it's been for Cardiff, but Swansea were only a place higher than them prior to this weekend. But a good win here, perhaps a bit fortuitous with the chances, but three points nonetheless. And I think a lot of that is down to the return of Jamie Patterson to the side. He's been missing because it seems like he wanted to leave in January, but he's back now and he could be massive for them in the remainder of the season, couldn't he? He could be. I, th- I think he will be. They- they've missed Jamie Patterson badly um we talk about creativity and you know Swansea are, are, are good and I think if you take obviously they took Ethan Laird out of the the, the side um a, a, an automatic starter and he added a lot from right wing back and then Jamie Patterson comes out and that's that's suddenly two avenues of creativity come um that have come out of the team and it's it's not ideal um and as you say Jamie Patterson for me has, has been Swansea's best player this season just because of how influential he's been um they went into this game um not having having not scored in the last in the last four or the four previous, so he comes in and he creates a goal straight away. It just shows how how good he is, and it really was a, a peach of a cross as well. And when you've got players like that who can who know where their strikers are going to be, um, and it wasn't he didn't provide Piro with the chance. It was Obafemi. So he, he's such a he's such an important player for Swansea. And I think, as I say, taking him out of the team, they're they're much poorer about him. So yeah, him and uh, Hans Wolf, I think, yeah, going to be very very important going into the second half of the season now. Yeah, that cross was unbelievable, wasn't it? Oberfemi would have done well to miss it, quite frankly, because he passed just put it on the plate. And it's, it's a glimpse of what he is capable of. I completely agree with you. He probably has been Swansea's best player this season, which isn't bad for a guy who is deemed to have no future at Bristol City, which always seemed a strange decision to me. But nonetheless, he is class. When you give this guy game time and you get the ball to his feet, he can make things happen. Not many teams in the championship have a player like him, do they, who can make something out of nothing in the final Mm -hmm. third. And those kind of players are just invaluable at this level. So hopefully whatever's happening with his future now, he's happy with it and he can go back to tearing teams apart once again, just like he did here. Let's go to Hull, who suffered their first loss since being taken over by Akon Ilakali. They lost 1-0 at home to Preston. Another game where the losing side had some brilliant chances. Daniel Everson made two great saves. One in particular would go down as, for me, a save of the season contender. But the man who stole the headlines for Preston again was that man, Cameron Archer, who scored the winner here. Uh, a brilliant taking winner at that, Justin. Yeah, he was he was magnificent throughout the game. He really was. I was praising him after he tapped he tapped that ball home against against uh, it was West Brom, wasn't it? And it was that was just a tapping. And the amount of praise they gave him for that was was a lot. And you know, going into this game, he he was quite honestly probably one of the best players on the pitch. Um, and he's again he's going to be an important player for for pressing because now they've got two avenues of attacking him and Jakobsen. But Archer's ability in this game was 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 on show, no end. Um, his ability to hold the ball up, spin defenders, hold defenders off, 
he's just a kid. He's not got much senior experience, and he's doing that. And only his his, his um, second start for Preston, it was uh, or first start for Preston. He was he was fantastic, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing more. And as you say, his finish was brilliant. There was a moment in the first half actually where he spun a defender and hit the post. I thought that was um, that was that was brilliant. As I say, for a player to do that at his age and his inexperience is, is brilliant. Just goes to show how much quality he does actually have. Yeah, he's an entertaining striker to watch. And by that, I mean, he likes to have the ball at his feet and run at defenders, doesn't he? He'll work the channels and go out wide to get the ball. Um, and then when a defender comes up against him, he'll say, right, I'm going to skin you and just breezes past him. And I think that's quite rare at championship level. But as well as that, the run, touch and finish for his goal against Hall was so classy. A real poacher's goal. So it's still very early days, but I've really liked what I've seen so far from Archer. He comes across as quite a raw talent and mm. it will take a, a lot of coaching from the likes of Lowe to really get the best out of him. But you can clearly see there's a lot of talent there and I'm sure he's going to be continue to providing loads of entertainment for Preston fans for the remainder of the season. We speak of Archer's goal. I don't want to take anything away from Ben Whiteman's assist, which was also beautiful to break the break the uh, final line. Was uh, really nice from him. Uh, worth saying there was also a disallowed goal in this game for Preston. Alan Brown was deemed to have handballed it, and that seemed a bit harsh for me, Justin. Considering um, obviously what happened in the FA Cup on Friday night with Duncan Watmore um, and it being deemed accidental, but I think because Alan Brown scored. Uh, uh, see, that ball rule is so confusing now, but I think because Alan Brown scored, that's why he got ruled out. So if he was, if he assisted, I think it it goes ahead like it is a goal. Um, but it, really no difficult way it's one. It's intentional, to... is it? Yeah, but handball's handball's handball, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. It's it's one of them. It, handball will always be a contentious thing. I think the referee in this uh, situation was, was probably right to rule it out. But at the same time, because of what happened on Friday night with that handball for Duncan Watmore in the FA Cup, really hard to distinguish what is handball now. Um, so it's up in the air, but I'll go with the referee on this one. Yeah, well, Preston won it. It didn't really change yeah. anything in the end, did it? So can't complain too much. Uh, none of Hall's new signings started the game. Marcus Force and Sayan Manesh. I'm struggling to say his name. Literally, all I heard then was Alayar Sayad Manesh. Syed um, yeah. We'll, we'll just call him... Uh, Syed Manesh. That's quite an easy flow, that one. We'll just call him Manny. <laughs> Both <laughs> came off the bench. Um, got to say, if you had a Marcus Force on the end of Tommy Hughes' header in the first half, then maybe this game would have been a diff- bit different. But who can be very satisfied with where they are in the table now, despite this loss, because their recent form has been very tidy. On Friday night, Sheffield United got their third win on the bounce after beating Birmingham 2-1. They had to come from a goal down to do it, mind. It was almost as if Birmingham scoring awoke the beast within Sheffield United, didn't it? Because 15 minutes after Birmingham scored, the Blades were in front. Let's talk about the second goal, Justin, because it was a beautiful team goal, wasn't it? But Lee Bowyer wasn't too happy because he thought it should have been offside with the ball um, being hoofed up to the Birmingham keeper and Billy Sharp, who was offside, went for the ball. The Birmingham keeper cleared it and it led to the goal eventually. Do you agree with Bowyer here? I, I sympathise with him. Um, I do because obviously Billy Sharp was offside, um, and he's closing down Etheridge, and Etheridge clears it, um, deeming obviously Billy Sharp to be active uh, and therefore offside. But at the same time, um, 
you know, I think the situa- that situation, I don't think Everidge needed to clear it in that case because Billy Sharp's offside. He's active. If he goes anywhere near the ball, Linesman's going to put his flag up. But at the same time, you've got to you've got to play on instinct, and obviously Everett had to had to clear it. So, yeah, I sympathise with him. With him, the ref was wrong. Uh, obviously, I think he stated that the linesman told him it depends on the distance, and Billy Sharp was too far away from him, which I think is absolute nonsense. But at the same time, Birmingham City have benefited from decisions that have gone for them as well. Um, so I, in some ways, annoyed, but Sheffield United should have had a penalty. We'll, we'll just say that. Mm. Do you think that was a penalty? I do, yeah, because I think uh, the defenders come across in Dai's uh, legs and obviously that's forced his um, foot into his heel, which obviously tripped him over. Same again on last Sunday with the Mengi handball. Um, these things do even themselves out, but I understand why Bowie is frustrated and I'm not in any way trying to take anything away from it. It was an easy offside decision to make and the linesman should have given it. Mm. Fair enough. Sheffield United up to 10th now. Three points off the top six, but with as many as three games in hand on some of the teams in there. We keep talking about how crowded this battle is for the top six, Justin. There are so many teams who are fancying their chances right now. But I continue to find it hard to rule out Sheffield United. I don't think anyone can rule them out at the moment, but they're certainly looking like a good bet for it at the moment. They tick a lot of boxes, don't they? Because they've got games in hands, they're in very good form. And, of course, the quality that already exists in their squad. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. They, they tick a hell of a lot of boxes. They've got it everywhere on the pitch, really. They've got a very good defence. Now they've got Charlie Good in there. They've got a, an extra centre-half to, to cover in case the likes of Chris Bash, Basham or John Egan gets injured. Um, I'm not sure he's how far away... Oh, God. He's completely ruined my flow there with that terrible joke. Um, they've got uh, they've got Jack, O'Con- Jack O'Connell to come back into the side. I don't know how long... Uh, how long he'll be he'll be out for, but hopefully he's nearing full fitness. They've just got a lot of quality in the team. Bruce is out injured. McBurney comes in, steps up, works hard in that game against Birmingham City. There's a lot of depth, um, and as you say, they've they've got everything in every department, and now they've got momentum as well. And obviously, this Sheffield United team hasn't had the chance to really let themselves go yet. Um, obviously, they they picked up got a got a good run of form going in December, but then the COVID post postponements kicked in. Now they've got that chance to just get in game by game and, and build up some momentum. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do over the next few mm. weeks. For me, I still don't think a late push for the top two is out of the question. Because if they win the three games in hand, um, on Blackburn that is, obviously easier said than done. But if they win them, then they'll be only two points behind Blackburn. So mm. we'll probably get a better idea in the next month. But I continue to look at them and find it hard not to see them in the top six, top six come the end of the season. They seem to have clicked together once again, playing some really nice football. They've won three games on the bounce, and that's with their best player in Morgan Gibbs-White missing. And he is expected to be back in the team soon again. So uh, in the three wins, they've completely dominated the game, limiting the the opposition to effectively nothing. And Ollie Norwood looks to be back to being the Ollie Norwood of old who dictates mm-hmm. the whole game. So I'm really high on Sheffield United right now. They've got two gigantic games this week in the playoff race against West Brom and Huddersfield they come out the other side with four points at least or maybe even six points then the sky's the limit for Paul Heckingbottom's boys uh, quick word on Birmingham Justin don't think you can be too downhearted in losing against a very good side especially when there's question marks around whether the second goal should have stood or not Lau Taylor got his second goal in two games and I don't know about you Justin but I think he's starting to look a bit like the Lau Taylor of old again 
He's a goal scorer. Um, plain and simple, he's, he's a very good goal scorer. He's a very good finisher, um, and he's a very good he's a very good striker to have. I just don't think Forrest quite played to his strengths, which is nobody's. It's not really a criticism of anyone. They just play play with their forwards differently. But with Birmingham City, he's got the opportunity to to be the forward that he is. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on Birmingham City. I thought they defended the goals really, really poorly. I think everybody switched off. Mark Roberts, for example, losing Billy Sharp, the record championship goal scorer, had no idea where he where he was for the first goal. I think that was really poor. And then the second goal, nobody matched the runs of, of Fleck and Jane and Bogle. I think that was really poor as well. Yeah, Birmingham have got to work out those defensive collapses and why they keep happening. And as soon as they do that, they will um, they will get they will pick up more points. Mm. Just focusing on Taylor though. He's had two really taking, well-taken goals, hasn't mm-hmm. he? They're, they're two goals that you'd expect to see him when he was playing in a Charlton shirt uh, a couple of seasons ago now. But I think because he's linked back up with Boya, Boya knows how to play to his strengths and is also giving him his confidence back as well. Because when he was at Forest before, it would take him at least two very good chances to find the back of net, wouldn't it? Maybe even more mm-hmm. than that. Um, but now that he's playing for Birmingham, a club where he's playing regularly. He's first-choice striker there, isn't he? Seems to have found his goal-scoring touch again. And I'm quite excited by the signing. When he, they brought him in, I thought, very good move. And mm-hmm. it's turned out to be an extremely good move because they are getting back the Lyle Taylor that we all saw in the Championship and thought, this guy is going to be a really, really good striker for somebody. He's um, turning out it's Birmingham. And being back with Lee Bowyer, as I say, clearly knows how to get the best out of him. And we're seeing that now. Uh, Blackpool 3, Bristol City won the final game of this weekend, Justin. Shall we just spend 10 minutes or so talking about how good Josh Bowler is? Does that suit you? Because the goal here, Justin, was delightful. I think you've also got to praise CJ Hamilton on the left-hand side as well because he stepped up in Keshi Anderson's place and, and doing very well. And obviously Josh Bowler would take the plaudits because that touch, that touch to bring the ball down and the gracefulness... The gracefulness to cut inside and then the finish as well. Something that's really lacked in his game is his ability to finish those sorts of chances. Um, and that was that was beautiful. Uh, it really was such a aesthetically pleasing goal from a, a very aesthetically pleasing player. He's very, very nice to watch on the pitch. Um, it, yeah, he's so graceful in that goal just epitomised every, every ounce of his ability. It was fantastic. Mm. With this kind of performance, you can see why so many big clubs are looking at him. Because <laughs> um, the past, past couple of months, he's been unreal. In the... I'd say first few months of the season, he was good, but he stepped it up another gate, another level, hasn't he? Here um, and now, every time he gets on the ball, defenders just seem to be thinking to themselves, "How are we going to deal with this guy?" Um, but he has been so frighteningly good recently, and seems to be getting better in each game, and that's very, very good for Blackpool, who in general are just looking very, very good right now, aren't they? This was a comfortable win here, simple as it gets, really. They look aside, full of confidence right now, and I would not want to be coming up against them as things stand, because we all know they're tough to beat anyway, but they're now Mm -hmm. showing a bit more of an attacking threat at the same time, aren't they? For Bristol City, just two points picked up in, in their last nine away games, 24 goals conceded in nine games home and away, I struggle to get very excited about the Robins right now, Justin. I know whenever we talk about them negatively, we have to add in the caveat that this is seen as something as a transition season. Yet, if it is that, they don't seem to be transitioning very well. You're spot on. I'm just trying to look at their fixtures here. It looks like they've conceded two plus goals um, in the last eight league games, nine league games, which is... This is is what I was saying last week. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's nine games in a row where they conceded two or more. 
It's frightening, that is. Um, and you're absolutely spot on. It's very hard to get excited um, as a Bristol City fan because you look at Preston, for example, you'd argue in a similar similar place where new managers come in, they've got to take their, their, their team in a slightly different direction. Pearson's trying it, but you see it paying off with Preston. They've, they've tightened up at the back. They're starting to reap the rewards up front. Whereas Bristol City is so unpredictable at the moment. Um, and, and it's got to the point where Pearson is starting to point the finger at his players himself. And he said it, the best actually, you know, individuals are letting their side down too often, um, and he's and he's promised things will change. But we're in February; we've got a lot of games to go. Change isn't going to happen until the summer. Um, so really, players have got to have got to step up because that's all that's all I can really put it down to. Because Nigel Pearson has shown that he is a good manager. He's bleeding in youngsters. He's giving this team the shock it needs, but they're not reacting. Why is that? It's it's got to be down to the players, and, and quite frankly, maybe they've got too comfortable. I don't know, but um, it is it is really poor. That defensive record is 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 scarily bad. You know, it's it's relegation um, form in terms of uh, at the back. Not saying they're going to get sucked into a relegation battle, but you know, teams teams should be defending better than that. It's it's not good enough. Well, scoring goals is not a problem, is it? Exactly, we, we can see that because they're a great bet for both teams to score each week. Um, but in terms of defence, they are a shambles, as we all know. Talking about the figures that we've just mentioned there, I do look at the squad, and it doesn't look to me like a championship side that's up to the standard that needs to, it needs to be at championship level. You could easily make the argument that this is the worst Bristol City squad in quite some time, but it seems to be getting weaker at the same time. Max O'Leary in goal, 24 goals conceded in nine games. Sure, he's probably not at fault for all of them, but that's a very poor record for any keeper. Cameron Pring really doesn't look up to it for me at the back. I think he's been really poor. And then you've got Callum O'Dowder, who's playing left wing back, and he really doesn't suit him for me. I think if Bristol City are looking towards the future, then I've got to say the future doesn't look too bright right now. You've got... Three talented young lads who I think we all know by now, Scott, Semenya and Masengo. Otherwise, the whole squad is very C-minus for me, Justin. No, I understand where you're coming from and that comes down to recruitment in the past, doesn't it? They, they've been severely let down. Callum O'Dowd is one of those transfers that a few years ago was, was a very good pickup. A lot of clubs in for him, but he's not been able to kick on. It's probably the same with quite a few. Look at Jade Silva, for example. You know, managing to sign him on a permanent deal was was a masterstroke, but obviously he picked up that knee injury and it seems to have put him back. And then you look at the balance elsewhere. Joe Williams, very good player, but too injury prone at the at the moment. You hope that he can he can recover. Um, and then defensively, Atkinson, good pickup in the summer, but not really shown what he's what he's capable yet from a defensive point of view. So there are just a lot of question marks. And you're quite right to say a lot of the players um, are very C minus. It's, it's a building process. It's going to be a building process for Bristol City. And I think, um, I think as I say, Pearson's right to call out individuals letting the team down because that's what it feels like. They can see too many goals. Um, and that's not always down to team shape and, and manager. You've got, to, you've got to point the finger at the, the players. Let's have a break, Justin. After that, we'll go to some of the news in the Championship from the past few days. Hello and welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And we were talking in midweek, Justin, how we went a whole new section without talking about Derby's takeover situation. 
Guess where we're beginning right now. Former owner Mel Morris has invited Middlesbrough and Wickham to take their legal claims against him. Before those legal claims against Derby were putting off potential buyers who didn't want to be forking out millions more on top of what they would have all had to already have to have been spending. Now there's a long way to go before Derby are out of the woods. Middlesbrough, Wickham and the EFL will all have to agree to Mel Morris's offer, but it could potentially be huge news for Derby and secure the future of the club. It, it removes a massive obstacle, doesn't it? I think um, I think Chris Kirch, you know, the uh, the guy that was um, trying to buy the club before Christmas, I think he actually cited the actual um, fee that has, has been claimed by, by Borough and Wickham and it was in the region of £40 million. That's obviously a massive stumbling block for, for teams. As I say, Chris Kirch has said that himself, who was involved in the, uh, the bidding process. Um, yeah, it is, it is a massive obstacle. It does remove that obstacle. Whether it gets accepted, accepted or not remains to be seen. But I think on one hand, you say, Mel Morris, you, that is the right thing to do. But on the other hand, you're saying, why couldn't you do this in November or December or January? So it's good. But at the same time, it's, this could have been, he could have stepped up a month ago, essentially. Yeah, I will say this. For a lot of people who have been saying, why haven't been Derby fans been protesting against Mel Morris? I think many people have just assumed he was out of the picture now. Exactly, um, yeah. Because he has disappeared off the face of the earth for the last few months, hasn't he? There's been rumours mm-hmm. all over the place about where he's at, where he is. Some people were speculating he's gone to America or what have you. But um, <laughs> it's about time he showed up, isn't it? He's the one who put Derby into this mess. Many have thought he'd gone into hiding, so... It shows he has got a bit of a conscience, but I don't think he'll be high on many Derby fans' Christmas card list still. Um, Going back to the offer, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't work for all parties. For Derby, lets them get on with being taken over. For Middlesbrough and Wickham, they can still pursue these legal claims. I've said this before, I don't think they'll be successful, but I still... Uh, but of course um, they can go to court and make some money if they do win so uh, and then also for the EFL it saves their arses from an almighty backlash if Derby do go out of business so it works for everyone I struggle to see any justification for rejecting the offer other than wanting Derby County to go out of business but if all parties don't want that to happen then surely they'll all accept the offer after all it wasn't the fans who sold the stadium to Mel Morris it was Mel Morris Um, and ultimately it would be the fans who would be punished if the legal claims against Derby continue so all makes perfect sense to me sticking with Derby the Sun is reporting that Mike Ashley has withdrawn his interest in buying Derby he was said to be annoyed after the club's administrators rejected his offer to buy the club Um, this would be a big blow Justin wouldn't it yeah, it would. Um, it is quite a worry because I, I, I'd have thought Mike Ashley was the the main man, um, the most likely one to, to buy the football club based on his, his wealth, his experience and his know-how of dealing with football clubs in this or, or dealing with businesses in this situation at Derby. And, um, uh, you know, without knowing too too much of the details, obviously we've only got the report. Um, it is frustrating. I think he's offered less for the stadium and less to the administrators, which... I think is fair in their current scenario, but the administrators have rejected it, which is, you know, frustrating because again, because of Derby's situation. So you hope that they, they do they do the right thing and um, make sure all parties go away with at least some sort of wry smile on their face. But at the, at the same time, you know, I hope I hope that isn't the end of Mike Ashley with Derby County. I hope that this is just a, a report just to put the pressure on. Um, the parties involved so yeah fingers fingers are still crossed but we'll know more once the the fans meet with the administrators in the coming week 
Well, this would be the, am I right in saying the third party who's been interested in Dobby and has now pulled out? Um, I don't know. I think it's third. Uh, And then there's another one who have said they're still interested in Derby, but are very annoyed about the way the administrators are running things. So there seems to be a lot of criticism going towards the administrators at the club at the moment, which is not something you'd expect from the administrators, who, after all, should be their only interest should be the future of Derby County. Um, Exactly. But you do get the sense sometimes, and this is just my opinion, that they have other interests on the side. Um, just a thought, just putting that out there. Final two bits of Derby County news just in. The Daily Mail claims Derby believe they may have found a £2.5 million insurance policy which will protect them if the legal claims by Middlesbrough and Wickham are successful, which is interesting. And finally, the EFL released a statement on Thursday where it said it doesn't believe the legal claims should be treated as football-related debts. It's also calling for a big meeting with all the parties involved Try to try and find a solution. Uh, Justin, any thoughts on that statement from Thursday? It was very robust. They could have been this robust last year when this was all going ahead. Uh, they haven't been. In Mel Morris's statement, he actually put the blame on Middlesbrough. It's just, it, it, the thing is with it, it's just more finger pointing. It's very frustrating from a fan perspective. A lot of PR point scoring from everybody, Borough, EFL and, and, and Mel Morris. Let's just get this resolved, essentially. Um, let's just get it resolved uh, and we could all move on and, and you know, whatever happens, happens after it. It's it's just more finger pointing and I think that's the most frustrating thing from a from a support perspective and from a, a you know, someone commenting commenting on it because there's it's a statement every week now. Like, how, how frustrating is that? There's a statement every week. Just get on with the job you're meant to do. Yeah, my anxiety is going through the roof when every time we do a news section just because I'm worried about people who don't care about Derby County yeah. and they have to sit through the news section every every half a week and hear about the latest with Derby County. So for those people, if you do just sit through it and just take it, then well I thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll have some sort of resolution soon, but that's a very big hopefully. Um Elsewhere, Justin, Steve Bruce has officially been appointed the West Brom boss on an 18-month contract. We were, weren't sure how long that contract was going to be in midweek, but it's now been clarified. Um, it looked as if it was going to happen when we last recorded, but it's since been confirmed. He says promotion is his only aim. Any thoughts on this, Justin, that you didn't share in the week? Yeah, I, I, was, I was a bit sceptical in the week, but I've sort of come around to it. I do I do rate Steve Bruce as a manager. I think he's had a couple of jobs that haven't quite worked out. Obviously, the the, the, the last few months at Aston Villa and uh, obviously at Newcastle. But with West Brom, you've got fans who are going to get behind the new new manager because they wanted the old one gone uh, as much as they did. Um, and then you've got a manager in Steve Bruce who's very good at getting teams organised. He's very good at getting the best out of individuals. You've only got to look at the likes of Harry Maguire, Andy Robertson, who all went for big fees. Robert Snodgrass enjoyed one of his best individual seasons when he was on loan at Villa under um, under Steve Bruce as well. So yeah, I think it's a good appointment. It's just whether or not the he can get this West Brom side ticking because if he can, they'll be very good. Definitely. He did also reveal he was meant to be going to the Caribbean next month to watch England in the Test Series. So that's a shame, but he seems very happy to have taken the West (laughs) Brom job, even though he's going to be missing out on the cricket. Final bit of news, Cardiff captain Sean Morrison has been ruled out for the rest of the season with an ACL injury. Meanwhile, Alfie Doherty is also set to miss the next two months after picking up an ankle injury following a nasty tackle in the Barnsley game midweek. 
we didn't mention that tackle at all, Justin, but if you see the pictures, it is a really nasty tackle. It's mm. His ankle's at a 90-degree angle, which, as far as I'm aware, is not the kind of way it should be bending. But, uh, mm. yeah, it's a massive shame when a young player like that has to miss two months because of He's been unlucky with injuries as well. Yeah, really unlucky. Uh, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. So the first question I asked them was this. Will Sheffield United finish in the top six this season? Yes or no? Uh, I'm really, I'm stuck um, between yes and no because if they go on a bad run of form, they, they'll struggle to get into it. So I'm going to say maybe. It's so hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> Because I, mm. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but there are so many teams going for the top six that it's hard to leave out other sides. I'd yeah. say yes, um, but as I say, if you made me jot down all the other teams I think we're finishing the top <laughs> six right now, I'd feel very guilty. <laughs> uh, 71% of people said no. 29% of people said yes. Um, would you rather win promotion from the championship or win the FA Cup? What do you think, Justin? I'd rather win the FA Cup. Um, I think just the, the memories you make winning the FA Cup, you can never take that away. Promotion and relegation can happen every season. I don't think you could you could possibly win the FA Cup every season. There's a chance, but yeah, odds are against you. I'd rather win the FA Cup. I think that I completely agree. That is the kind of memory that sticks with you forever, isn't it? If you ask a Norwich fan mm. right now, would you rather win the FA Cup or win promotion from the Championship? Then uh, you'd say the FA Cup, wouldn't you? Because they've won the promotion from the Championship exactly. so many times over the past yeah. few seasons that it's pretty meaningless, really. Um, this is interesting, though, and it says a lot about how far the FA Cup, FA Cup has fallen down people's priority list. 50% of people said win promotion. 50% of people said win the FA Cup. Wow. Just as tight as that, Justin, yeah. Armchair fans. <laughs> it is a massive shame isn't it but yeah I, I agree with you I think if you asked Wigan fans as well um, what's their best memory from the 15 last 15 years when obviously they're in the Premier League for a lot of it a lot of them would have said winning the FA Cup oh yeah without doubt so, yeah, yeah without doubt yeah um, and finally Justin what do you listen to more podcasts or the radio Um, probably the radio you know Uh really? Yeah, because now obviously I work from home all the time. I don't listen to podcasts as much. Whereas, you know, when I was commuting, I'd, I'd listen to podcasts. They're a good time to listen to podcasts. So probably the radio uh, more so because I'm in my car um, a lot more often. Interesting. 72% of people said podcasts. 28% oh. of people said the radio. Just doing a bit of a customer survey kind of thing. There, <laughs> what people are saying. <laughs> right. Killing radio. So... Absolutely. Um, so now it's time for a game, and it's not the Craig Bryson pub quiz. It's not Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. It's not even Scott High or Ryan Lowe. It's a completely new game I've come up with, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just pulling them out of my arse at the moment. Um, so, Justin, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 10 players with various connections to the championship, and then I'm also going to give you a club. All you've got to do is tell me whether they played for that club or not. Um, and when I say played, I mean he's got to have made a senior appearance for them. Is that all right with you? Yeah, I think so. Is it like connect the dots sort um, of thing? It's literally just, I'm going to name a player and a club and you've got to tell me whether he's played for that club. It, was, well, yes or no? Can I make it? Yes. <laughs> okay. That all sounds right. like my, my street. Let's go. Okay. Okay, that's fine. First player is this, Darnell Furlong and Luton Town. Paul Furlong 
is his dad and he played for Luton. So I'm going to say yes. Oh, it's a red herring, isn't it? He didn't play for Luton. Oh. He, he was born in Luton, but he never played there. So mm. it's zero out of one for Justin so far. Um, next one is this. Martin Waghorn and Charlton. No. He did. He had a loan spell there. <laughs> <laughs> he had a loan spell there in 2008. Um I thought you did quite well on this, Justin. I did not expect you to have zero out of two so far. But uh, next one is this. Daryl Murphy, Sheffield Wednesday. Sunderland, Dipswich. He played for Forest. Uh, no. He did. He had a Are you serious? Another loan spell there in 2005. <laughs> Are you questioning everything now? Yeah. John Parkin, Doncaster. See, I'd have said yes there, but now I'm convinced. I'm, I'm questioning myself. He's played for Cardiff, Preston. Um, I think he had a spell at Barnsley as well. Um, he's been everywhere. He's the def- definition of a journeyman. I'm going to say yes. He did. He made five appearances for them in 2011. So you've got one out of four so far, Justin. Your next one is this Chris Wood and Norwich. okay chris wood's been on loan everywhere so i'm trying to uh leicester millwall um i'm gonna say oh he's obviously at leeds as well i could just picture him in a yellow shirt but i'm gonna say no he didn't but would chris wood in the future i think he would um danny graham leeds no, uh, for some reason I recall Danny Graham's career quite well. I don't think he did, but then he had a lot of loan spells in the mid-2000s from Borough, and uh, <laughs> I've got to stick with my answer and say no. He made three appearances on loan in 2006, he did. <laughs> the, loan system, the loan system in the 2000s was ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really was. Everyone was just being loaned out to all over the place for like a month, weren't they? Mm. Um, you've got two out of six so far Justin this is not how I expected this quiz to go at all I'm thoroughly enjoying it though Leon Best Bristol City no he didn't he has not played for Bristol City 100% Newcastle Coventry uh, uh, Southampton Blackburn Rotherham Derby it's not Bristol City he didn't he played for a few clubs down that way I think he also played for Bournemouth as well so I think he played for Bournemouth Southampton Brighton not yeah yeah he he was there when they were in the championship Um, but yeah he didn't play for Bristol City so you've got three out of seven next one is this John Stead and Hull (laughs) again the mid-2000s loan system because he passed through Derby but he was at Bristol City for a bit he was at I don't know I'm going to say no he didn't he played for a few Yorkshire clubs, but Hull was not one of them. So that's four out of eight you've got. Next one is this. You've got two left. Um, Chris Eagles, Blackburn. No. Mm, you sure? Yeah, I don't think he played for Blackburn. He didn't. He seemed to play for virtually every club in Lancashire except for Blackburn. <laughs> so you're absolutely right there. Your final one is this, Justin. Carl Henry and Bolton. That he's the most Bolton player I can possibly think of. 
just like it feels like he's it feels like he would have played for Bolton when they were sort of the, the kick it and lump it kind of team. But again he Darren Prattley played for Bolton and he's mm. a similar sort of style of player, very gangly as well, very tall. So I'm gonna say no. You sure? But then again they had they had a lot of professionals pass through their doors over the last five or six years. <laughs> I'm going to say oh, yes. Right. I'm going to say three appearances or something. Oh, really? Genuine yeah. Man. Okay. Um, he did. He made 33 appearances oh, for what? them in 2017-18. Wow. I didn't. I did, did not know. Yeah. Were they in the championship 2017-18? I think they were. Uh, that's a good question. I would say yes. I think they were. But they were they were bouncing around between League One and the Championship. That might have been their League One season because it was the eighteen nineteen season. Mm, they maybe. they came, they were in the Championship because they couldn't finish their fixtures. There, there was a season when them and Rotherham got spanked every single every single week. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah. Maybe it was that but season. Nonetheless, that, that Cole Henry. Did. <laughs> yeah. So I think you got. Did you get six out of ten in the end? Yeah, not Which bad. Isn't that. too bad. You recovered in the end after being rattled by the first three <laughs> questions. <laughs> did you enjoy that? That was yeah, that was quite fun. I, you learned, I actually learned quite a lot. I learned that the loan system was borderline yeah. fraudulent in the mid two thousands. Ridiculous, really. But maybe yeah, maybe, maybe we'll bring that back. I think that's I like that. um, it's a lot more enjoyable than Scott High and Ryan Lowe, isn't mm. it? That, that's a uh, what was the other one we did where we just made up random players. <laughs> That was, a, that, was fun. that was an interesting one. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll see the return of this game um, in the near future, ladies and gentlemen. One thing that you will see again in the near future is the Second Tip Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to round up all the midweek games in the Championship. We've got a full round of fixtures for once. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. We'll go through every single one of them and talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. So this has been the Second Tip Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.